Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Good morning. Are you happy that you came out in the rain today? It really has been great to be here in the presence of the Lord together. We're right in the middle of a message series entitled Come Alive. And the goal of this series is to prepare our hearts for the single greatest day on the Christian calendar, Resurrection Sunday, or more commonly referred to as Easter. And as the story goes, a little over 2,000 years ago, on the Friday before Easter, a Friday we call good, a man by the name of Jesus, who just happened to be the Son of God, was condemned to die. He was crucified where he suffered for the sins of the world. And on that day, his followers and a great multitude of people watched him breathe his last breath, hang his head, and that was it. A couple hours later, they peeled the dead body of Jesus off the cross. They laid him in a tomb. They buried him. But a few days after that, he came alive. He came alive. Jesus was dead, but he came alive. And when he did that, the scripture tells us that he broke the powers of darkness and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And check it out, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 in the Bible, it says the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies. I'm going to repeat that. The same power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead, it, he dwells with us today. Do you believe that? Well, if you do, that means for all believers, we have access to that same resurrection life and power. And so with this series, instead of waiting until Easter to talk about the resurrection miracle of Jesus, what we want is for each and every one of us to come alive. And I'm talking about a resurrection experience. And I firmly believe that could happen for everyone in this place today. And it can happen in a bunch of different ways. The key is hope and expectation. It's understanding what Jesus has done for us and our willingness to put our trust in what he's done. And if right about now you would say, Tony, that sounds amazing. That really appeals to me. But I have to be honest with you. My hope is at an all-time low. In fact, I'm so dry spiritually on the inside, I don't know that I could ever be filled with any amount of hope or encouragement. And if you would say that today, then here's what I would say back to you. Today's your lucky day. And you've come to the right place because there is a lot of expectation in this room this morning. I mean, can you feel it? Can you sense it? The Spirit of the Lord is with us. And there's more than enough to go around for everyone. And so, Father, we just give you these next 30 minutes or so. We put this service into your care and we lay our hearts before you. And, Father, I pray that you would charge each and every one of us with a supernatural hope and expectation. And that, Lord, as a result, we would never be the same. That every one of us would come alive on the inside. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
All right. You've heard it a bunch of times already. Today is on the, on the Christian calendar. It's Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, here's what happened on Palm Sunday. And uh, just so you know, all four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record the events of Palm Sunday, which makes it uh, pretty special and pretty important. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. As they, that would be Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, Say to the daughter of Zion, or to the nation of Israel, the people of God, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd of people spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed behind Jesus shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Okay, this is the record of Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, the streets were filled with great crowds of people. And I'm talking about thousands and thousands of people who were on their way, making their way to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. And keep in mind that all Jewish men were required by Levitical law to participate in the Passover. They had to be there. They were required to be there. And so wherever they lived, they took a little downtime, maybe a week or so, took vacation, and they made arrangements with their families to travel to Jerusalem. They did this every year. And Luke tells us that when Jesus was just a boy, he and his family made this trip as well. You remember with me that Jesus was from Nazareth, about 65 miles north of Jerusalem. And every year, his family would plan this vacation around Passover time, and they would make the trip to Jerusalem. In fact, as you know, when Jesus was 12 years old, the scripture tells us that they had such a great big party or caravan going to Jerusalem that his parents accidentally left him there. Bible scholars tell us that at the time of Christ, about 50,000 people resided in Jerusalem. 50,000 people made their home there. But during the Feast of Passover, the crowds of people would swell into the hundreds of thousands. And somewhere in the middle of uh, the Passover week, also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would hold a Seder meal, similar to our Thanksgiving dinner, and everyone looked forward to it, Jews and non-Jews alike. And during this Seder or Passover meal, people would prepare their favorite Mediterranean recipes. And they had lamb chops, and kafta, and kibbe, and they prepared grape leaves, falafel, hummus, and tabbouleh, and they topped it all off with baklava and rice pudding. I mean, hands down, it was a feast fit for a king. 
I mean, even these days, uh, the Mediterranean food or cuisine rates real high on the delicious food list, right below Italian somewhere. <laughs> but it wasn't the great food, just the food, the music or the dancing, the entertainment or the party atmosphere that drew people from the four corners of the earth. I mean, it was exciting to be there for that. But the real reason that people were there, the real reason that people had come from all over, every region, to be in Jerusalem was because of what happened some 1,500 years earlier when God miraculously delivered the nation of Israel, his people, from their bondage in Egypt. And on that occasion, God went toe-to-toe with the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man on the planet at that time. And God's rescue plan, how he rescued his people from bondage, involved a little lamb, an innocent lamb, a lamb that would become known as the Passover lamb. And way back in the book of Exodus, right after the very first Passover, God told Moses, I want the Passover event to be an everlasting ordinance for my people. And you tell them today and for future generations and for all time, once a year, every year, I want them to come and gather together and celebrate and remember what I did for you when you were slaves in Egypt. And that's why the people were there. All those people, natives and pilgrims alike, that came to Jerusalem in droves, hundreds and thousands of people every year, they were there to remember they were there to honor, and they were there to worship the Lord. And again, the Passover celebration was the absolute biggest event of the year. Everyone was there, everyone showed up, everyone participated. And all of the people knew exactly what to do once they were there in Jerusalem. They knew the drill. It was the same routine every single year. And they would go for the feast of the Passover, and they would walk through the very same steps. Either they would bring a lamb or buy a lamb. They would prepare it, they would cook it, they would eat it. They would attend a church service and go through the motions of religious activity. And I'm sure that some people took that celebration very seriously. I'm sure that there was a group of people that were extremely passionate about Passover. But I don't think many in the crowd that day had any idea what was coming. I don't think on that very first Palm Sunday that the people in the crowd expected anything out of the ordinary. For most, it was just another Passover. Until until they saw Jesus riding that donkey. Until they saw him coming down, making his way into Jerusalem. And at first there were just a few whispers. And then the excitement began to spread and it began to build. And before anybody knew exactly what was happening, there was wholesale and widespread involvement. 
And spontaneously, people began to cut down palm branches off trees and wave them. They threw them in front of Jesus as he made his way. Prophetically, they began to sing and to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And do you know what that word Hosanna means? Hosanna is actually a plea for salvation. You're right. It comes from two Hebrew words, Yasha, which means to deliver, and Anna, which means to beg or beseech. And so the literal translation of Hosanna is we beg you to save us. Please deliver us. Lord, rescue us and help us. And do you know who else said those very same words? Who else repeated that over and over again? Their forefathers, some 1,500 years earlier, at the time of the very first Passover, when they were slaves in Egypt, and they cried out to God, save us, rescue us, Hosanna. And God sent Moses to them. He raised up a man by the name of Moses. And Moses became their deliverer. He rescued the people of God from the hand of Pharaoh. And during that process, as they were being rescued and delivered, Moses spoke prophetically. And here's what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. Any idea who that might be? Jesus. Jesus was the prophet. But not just a prophet, not just any old prophet. The scriptures describe him as prophet and king. And not just any king. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the name that has been assigned to him. And if you don't believe me, check out Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. Just one of many verses talking about Jesus. Revelation 19 says, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Here's the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think that's pretty clear. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey in fulfillment of the prophetic word that was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, behold, your king comes. And for the first time in the history of Jesus' ministry, he was declaring, I am king. I am your king. You see, prior to that, Jesus never drew attention to himself. He never promoted his own ministry. He never made a big deal over the fact that he was indeed the Son of God. In fact, on several occasions, you'll read in the, in the Gospels, when Jesus healed somebody and they wanted to testify, he told them, no, no, keep that to yourself. Be, be quiet. Don't tell anybody. Jesus never drew attention to himself, but on this occasion, it was his time to shine. It was as if the Father placed the spotlight right on Jesus and said, this is your king. And that's why at the end of the road there, 
when Jesus finally made his way to Jerusalem and the people were asking all kinds of questions and the, the, the Pharisees and religious leaders said, tell your disciples to be quiet. Jesus basically said, if they don't acknowledge me as king and if they don't worship me as king, the rocks would be forced to cry out. You see, that's why the multitudes responded. That's why they cut down palm branches and began to sing and shout, Hosanna. It was a holy moment. Let me say it again. It was a God-ordained visitation, something that they had never experienced before. And unfortunately, many in the crowd didn't fully understand what was taking place in the spirit realm. They didn't acknowledge Jesus as king at all, let alone their king or the king of kings. And so what happened is a great multitude of those people that were in the crowd on Palm Sunday, they left that Palm Sunday experience empty-handed. They came away from that God moment when God was shining his light on his son, when God was making a truth known they had never made known before, when the revelation was coming, a lot of the people in the crowd, in that parade, they walked away without gaining any additional insight. But not everybody. There were a few that locked into that holy moment. And it literally changed and transformed their lives. On Palm Sunday, a tremendous amount of people, they came alive on the inside. And it fueled them for what was about to happen and what God was going to show them in just a few more weeks. And so in the time remaining this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the effect that the Palm Sunday experience had on just one man, a man by the name of Simon. And now I'm not referring to Simon Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus. I'm not talking about Simon the leper that Jesus healed. And not even Simon the Pharisee, one of the religious leaders. And those are all real characters in the New Testament. No, the Simon that I'm referring to is Simon of Cyrene. Say that, Simon of Cyrene. Now, even though the Bible doesn't come right out and tell us that Simon was in the crowd on Palm Sunday, I'm going to exercise a little pastoral perception and speculation and tell you that he could have been there. All right, Simon of Cyrene could have been in the crowd on Palm Sunday. Again, I can't prove to you that he was there. You can't prove that he wasn't. So for the purpose of this message today, let's just say he was there. Now, we absolutely know that Simon was in Jerusalem a few days later on Good Friday. We know that because the Bible comes right out and tells us that. And it tells us that he, along with hundreds and thousands of other people, made his way to Jerusalem for Passover. And we know that he came at least with his two sons, Rufus and Alexander. We also know that Simon was from Cyrene. Hence the name, Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was a little town um, about 800 miles from Jerusalem. It was in uh, North Africa. And the the religious leaders and, pardon me, the, the Bible commentaries tell us that it was about 800 miles away and many of the Jews at the time of Christ were living in Cyrene. There were Jews living in Cyrene and it would have taken him and his sons or his family about a month to make that trip to Jerusalem. An entire month 
to honor the word of the Lord, to, to be in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so again, we're introduced to Simon on Good Friday. And here's what happened. You know the story. Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life. He took 39 lashes from the Roman Praetorian Guard, and they were hard lashes. Afterwards, just a fraction away from death, he was condemned to die, and he was ordered to carry his cross to the crucifixion site. Uh, somewhere along the way, the soldiers realized that Jesus was not going to make it, that he was too weak, maybe he lost uh, too much blood. And so what they did is they instructed Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross of Jesus. Now, I want you for just a moment to forget about all the movies that you've watched depicting that scene where the soldiers forced Simon to carry the cross, and I want you to let me tell the story. You see, the pathway from the judgment hall where Jesus was condemned and where he was uh, ordered to be executed to the crucifixion site itself was about a half mile, and it was a very narrow tunnel called the Via Dolorosa. I would probably conclude, and it just makes sense, that the people that were closest to Jesus, those following along right behind him, were family members, friends, and disciples. People that knew him, people that understood the ministry of Jesus. Because that pathway was so narrow, only a few people could get through it at a time, I'm going to say that the people closest to Jesus were his family members and friends. And Luke kind of confirms that because Luke tells us that directly behind Jesus was a group of women that probably knew him. They were crying uncontrollably and hysterically. And Jesus actually turned to these women and he engaged them in conversation. And he said, please, don't cry for me. Don't weep for me. But weep for your children. Cry for your children. So again, I'm going to say the people closest to Jesus were people that believed in him, people that understood his lordship. They saw and understood the revelation of God and that they knew Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and they were probably shocked at what was taking place. They, they couldn't believe it. And so after reading and rereading this account this past week, and laying aside all of the movies that I've seen and all the depictions and just paying attention to the scripture and praying about it and asking the Lord to reveal some things to me after doing that, I'm convinced that Simon of Cyrene was in close proximity to Jesus because he wanted to be. Not because it was an accident or it was a random pick. He was there because he was a disciple of Jesus. And he loved him. And he felt connected to Jesus. And he didn't want to abandon him. He didn't want to leave his side. He wanted to, Jesus to know he was very supportive. I'm, I'm thinking he had that kind of relationship. Who else makes a, a month-long trip, brings his two sons, and, and does it on a regular basis? I'm saying Simon had a relationship with Jesus. And maybe, just maybe a few days earlier, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that donkey, maybe Simon was captured and seized by a holy moment. He came alive on the inside, and it changed his life even more.
Maybe when he raised his hand to praise and to worship. Maybe when he shouted and raised his voice, Hosanna. Maybe the Lord revealed something to him and it just changed him on the inside. And he said, I've got to be close to Jesus. I have to follow behind him. I have to be a part of what he's doing. And if in fact that's true, if he was there and he was affected by that holy moment, then Simon represents every other person who gets exposed to King Jesus and is changed on the inside. Simon represents every single person who goes beyond just what you can see with your natural eyes, what the kids were talking about and singing about, and receive Jesus as Lord and King exactly the way that God was revealing him on that day when he said, Behold, your King comes. You see, most everybody knows that Easter is the time we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Unbelievers know that. But sometimes knowledge is not enough. In fact, always knowledge is not enough. You have to have a moment with God. And you have to surrender to that holy moment. And you have to allow the Spirit of the Lord to reveal to you Jesus as King. So that you can receive it, you can accept it, and you can acknowledge it. That Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, it's only the truth of his lordship that will allow you to come alive on the inside. Other than that, you can have a world of knowledge. You can go through the motions of religion. You can do the exact same thing that most of those people did from year to year, and that was to experience religion, religious activity. It's what we do sometimes on Easter. Or you can come alive on the inside because you acknowledge this man, Jesus, is your king. He's your Lord. All right. At this time, I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence that we sense in this place today. Even from the time that we started the service, Lord, it's been uncommon. It's been unusual, and we thank you for that. Thank you for gracing us, Lord God. It's an answer to our prayer. And I believe, Lord, that you're well aware of each and every person who's here today. Regardless of how we got here, regardless of why we're here. And Lord, I believe that you are reaching out to your people today. And you want us to come alive. You want us to know you as you really are. Not only a prophet, but a king. And not only a king, but the King of Kings. Lord, I pray that you would visit us in these closing moments. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.